HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Insomniac Studios presents Engineering Books on Tape Having trouble sleeping? Can't seem to stop worrying about work? Fear not. The geniuses at Insomniac Studios have assembled some potent sleep-invoking audio titles covering topics such as psychometrics, heat transfer, and the refrigeration cycle. With our monotone readers, we will have you asleep before the chapters on the theoretical discussions are complete. If not, we'll throw in a book about computational fluid dynamics absolutely free. So turn your audio player play button into your snooze button. Sweet dreams. Order today. Everybody, welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. You know, I want to take this moment to really thank everybody for listening. I know this is uh, really, everybody's really super busy, and I really appreciate you making HVAC 360 a part of your day. I know that you're out there and you're the best of the best, always looking to step up your game when it comes to HVAC. So, this week is going to be a summary of a webinar that came across my inbox. Um, it was put on by Automated Logic Corporation. Uh, who are those people? Um, well, they're actually one of the more major players in the control building controls industry. So it was uh, the topic was high-performance sequences, and they really wanted to dive into the ASHRAE Guideline 36, which wasn't published too long ago. And, you know, it was one of those standards that somebody had, uh, one of my buddies, Fred, with a local ASHRAE chapter, um, had turned me on to, and I really hadn't done anything with it. But I, when I saw this come across my desk, I go, okay, you know, it's on demand. I can listen to it now because I really have, I really in, in, am interested in it right at this moment. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really a great, um, a good primer. Let's get into it. So uh, I went to ASHRAE and... Here's what ASHRAE has to say about um, Guideline 36. So the newest ASHRAE Guideline, ASHRAE Guideline 36, 2018, High Performance Sequences of Operation for HVAC Systems, provides uniform sequences of operation for HVAC, HVAC systems that are intended to maximize the system's energy performance uh, and energy efficiency, provide control stability, allow for real-time fault detection and diagnosis. Standardized advanced control sequences provide benefits including reduced engineering time, reduced programming and commissioning time, reduced energy consumption, improved indoor air quality, and a common set of terms to facilitate communication between specifiers, contractors, and operators. The intended audience of this guideline includes HVAC designers, control contractors, commissioning agents, and building owners, operators, and maintenance technicians. All right, so that's coming directly off the ASHRAE website. That is, um, it, you know, it, it spells it out pretty well. Um, of course, it doesn't tell us everything. So what uh, what did I learn in this uh, this webinar that I had? Well, I guess 
the, this is really the first iteration of a 102-page document, um, and it is under a constant maintenance um, heading. So that means that there's going to be constant updates. There's going to be periodic updates. You don't have to wait for a, a review cycle, a three-year review cycle like some of the standards. This is under continuous maintenance. So, um, you know, every couple months they could do something. You know, it might be a year, but, you know, it is something that is going to change frequently. And this is that's, that's kind of important because once you get into understanding what Guideline 36 is, um, that's going to be... Uh, important, it's going to be very clear to you why that's important. They actually have a simple goal of providing a uniform sequence of operations for the HVAC industry. And anybody who knows anything about the sequences of operation, they can be absolutely erratic. Um, You know, you have packaged sequences of operation from the control manufacturers. You have standardized sequences of operations from the engineer. Um, You have maintenance staff that really don't understand how it's supposed to operate. Um, And so there's all these different conflicting, uh, you know, different ways of actually producing sequences of operations. And I I like the fact that this is going to bring some uniformity to some best practices in our industry. So, um, the currently, currently, if you went out and bought the standard right now, currently you're only going to see airside HVAC equipment. So specifically, it's going to be some of the some of the big stuff. It's going to be VAVs and VAV systems, um, air handling units, not uh, especially equipment like uh, DOAS, uh, but just some of the core equipment that's very very common. So this is a first foray. Obviously, you think about well, what about hydronic systems, the heating, and cooling? Those are going to come up, actually, probably next. Um, but the, I guess the the real cool thing. So this is all supported by ASHRAE Research, and you know, I mean, even though you think of ASHRAE as a mostly a membership organization, they do spend a large portion of their budget on research, and these are research programs that um, you know people solicit to. If you want to ever want to become part of the research, uh, that's definitely an avenue that you can get involved with. Uh, so they actually had put out there to develop these sequences specifically for um, you know this high performance, high performance kind of uh, uh, high performance equipment, make high performance buildings, things like that. So this is all based on Asrae's research. So actually, what, what's happening here is that they've set up guideline thirty six, and they got the first research project in, which happens to be on airside HVAC equipment. Now, they have other research projects ending and rolling in, and they're going to incorporate those into this um, guideline. Now, there's many more research projects out there. There's new ones starting. Um, so all of this is being kind of incorporated. So that's why it's important that this is a continuous, continuously are under continuous maintenance as a, as a guideline. Now, it's important to say that this is a guideline, not a standard. Um, so whether or not it's going to be codified, uh, that it would have to be written more in code language um, as a standard rather than a guideline. So that's probably not going to happen. But it's going to be something that you're going to be wanting to put in your specifications just so everybody's on the same page. So to give you kind of a, a structure of what the guideline looks like, um, what this 102-page document looks like um, starts off with, you know, basically it starts off with the purpose um, as a section on the scope, gets into set points, and this is both kind of set points from the design side and field-determined set points. Um, it'll specify a list of hardwire points, 
And then last but not least, the sequence of operations. Now it's it's going to have a, a bunch of different things. It's going to have you know charts. It's going to have um, you know different diagrams that you're going to be able to reference, uh, and the sequence of operations obviously is gonna, is going to be in there as well. So the goal is to really to use these standards instead of your own, instead of any custom standards um, or custom sequences or sequences from the control vendors. A lot of times when you know, the control vendors out there, they have sequences of operation that they have kind of tested and figured that are, are bulletproof. So if there's a little bit of conflict sometimes when you come up with these uh, versus what the engineer has dreamed up of. Um, and sometimes the engineer sequence, you know, sometimes it's, it's not the best. Um, you know, it might be one of those things that gets copied from job to job. And I, and I guess the important thing is that, you know, when you really do come up with a control sequence that works, um, and this is kind of assuming at least, you know, at least from the commissioning side, um, you know, a, uh, engineer is going to put out a control sequence that he think he thinks is absolutely fantastic. Um, but he never really would get the feedback of whether that not that sequence actually worked, whether it was implemented even. Um, because really, the you know, with the commissioning agent, and if the commissioning agent isn't even involved, and maybe it's left to the contractor, um, the temperature controls contractor may see that and go, you know what, I have the standardized sequence that I know is going to work. I'm not going to risk, you know, what you know he really wants to do or she really wants to do as an engineer and put that into practice. So it really... It really does kind of, um, you know, make this uniform, make this something that you could use from job to job. Because even if you did receive feedback as an engineer saying, hey, this is a really great sequence, you should use it again. Um, who's to say that it doesn't make it all the way back into your library uh, of sequences of operation for the entire company? So you don't really know that these things will carry over from project to project. You just don't know. Um Obviously, you want consistently good sequences uh, from job to job. That And the fact that these are compliant with the most current standards and codes, so you don't have to, I don't know, you don't have to work so hard. And, uh, you know, not like everybody's checking these to make sure that they are compliant with the latest codes and standards. I think that might be one of the gaps that's out there. And I think that is really cool that they are actually doing this. So, I mean, regardless of whether or not you implement them, maybe it is something that you want to look into, purchase Guideline 36 over at the Azure Bookstore, um, and be able to kind of evaluate them and compare them to what you are producing in your current sequence of operations. Um, finally, and, and they kind of alluded to it in the little uh, ASHRAE clip from the, the website, they are incorporating a full um, automatic fault detection and diagnosis sequence in there because uh, you know it's it's one of those things it's not it's not enough just to say okay here's a great sequence they want to make sure that you know everything is is valid and you know the diagnosis and being able to kind of say that yes everything's working everything's working right um, so that's going to be something that is really um, great for the commissioning agent great for the temperature controls guy and really great for the owner uh, to be able to see you know Here's here's some here's the fault detection, and we'll get into that a little bit more when we when we cover that cover that section. So, let's talk about a couple sequences here. Now, one of the things that they do, um, and this is kind of I'll give an overview. There's like four different topics here that that I'm going to cover. So, for VAV zones, they want to be able to create groups. Um, there's a lot more. I will, I will, I will. When I take a look at these, these are going to be a lot more involved than your typical 
sequences of operation that at least that I've seen. Um, but again, this, these are going to be, you know, for energy efficient buildings. And, and that is going to be something that's going to be, you know, probably coming up pretty hot and heavy. I just, I just recently ran across something on LinkedIn saying that the AIA is now making it kind of a standard of practice that they're going to be, you know, heading towards, you know, net zero. They want everything to be uh, energy efficient. They, they, they want to make that a standard of practice. Now, that might not necessarily mean too much to you and say, you know, so what? And what's, what, you know, standard of care, whatever. All right. So that may not necessarily mean too much to you, but it is a huge deal um, if they are basically shifting, you know, their focus. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they've always had, the, you know, the 2030 district that they're trying to, you know, strive for making sure everything is energy as efficient as possible. But real, realistically, when architects look at a building, um, it's going to be, if they want to make it energy efficient, that's going to be something that's going to be driven by the owner. Um, but now that it's kind of a standard of care, they're saying, okay, you know, we're just going to make energy efficient buildings across the board, full stop, you know, and if as an engineer, you're not paying attention to this, um, you should be because obviously an architect can make a building only so good. Um, and then it stops at the systems level. Now who designs the systems level? It's the engineers. So if you, if they're trying to make it the most energy efficient building possible and you are doing what you've always done, it's not going to match up. It, it really isn't going to be a, a consistent product that you're producing for the owner. And I, I think it's not going to be too short here between you're seeing kind of the push and uh, towards everybody, even, you know, even engineers trying to go for that energy efficient building. Now you want to make it, you know, there, there's certain caveats there and you want to make sure that the building owner understands that. Um, so they're operating it in the most efficient manner, but at least they have an energy efficient building that works when we hand over the keys. So that's gonna, that's that's kind of the importance of this guideline, at least to me, that I've seen, is that these are going to be sequences. Even though they're more complicated than you've, what you've typically seen, they're going to be more important. Um, they are going to be able to save some energy. Now, so what they've done is they've said, okay, you know what, we're, not only are we going to have VAV zones, but we're, we want to be able to group them. We want to be able to kind of have different different modes about them. And, you know, I mean, these are modes that we've we've kind of known about for a long time. I mean, occupied mode, you're going to have a cool down or a warm up mode, depending on, you know, the seasons and the temperatures. You're going to have a setback mode, uh, some for heating, and you're going to have a setup mode for cooling. And obviously, you're going to have some sort of freeze protection thrown in there. But that is, is some of the things that you're going to learn about when you dive into the guideline 36. Um, and again, you know, without, without a lot of, you know, kind of telling you this in an audio fashion uh, might not necessarily make sense. So it really implore you to go take a look at guideline 36. I'm, I certainly am going to take a look at it a little bit more and, um, you know, take a look at these, these diagrams a little bit more. Um, the second one, as far as sequences go, is the dual max VAV logic. Um, and what this means is that they're going to have kind of a, a reset uh, when you take a look at VAVs, you're going to have a, a you know a sliding scale between you know your maximum heating, your minimum heating. Um, you're going to have a dead band between them, and you're going to have another um, control loop signal um, for the cooling. So you're going to separate your heating and cooling control loops, so you don't 
ever end up simultaneously heating and cooling. It's going to be either one or the other, or there might be a you know drifting in between between the dead band. So it might not be necessarily doing anything. Um, another cool thing that they they pointed out is item number three is the dynamic demand control ventilation. Now I know I've seen this done a multitude of times, and if there's something that that really requires standardizing, it has got to be the demand control ventilation. Now this is going to be a requirement uh, for uh, ASHRAE ninety point one, so the Energy Code and uh, twenty sixteen uh, this version. Um, and what was really interesting now this is kind of uh, something that 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 um, was interesting to learn about. So what they're trying to do is they said that, you know, sometimes the demand control ventilation, sometimes the CFM flows um, that are required for demand control ventilation um, are really below the VAV minimum. And they wanted to make sure that that is uh, accounted for. So since you can't go below a VAV minimum, you're either at zero or a VAV minimum. Um, and if you didn't know this, maybe you should study up on VAV boxes a little bit. But sometimes you can't, there's a certain range of CFM that you can control to on any one box. And so it has a lower end. Below that, it's unreliable. It can't really control well. So it's either a zero or that VAV minimum. Now, they so they understand that there is uh, sometimes your... Um, demand control ventilation is going to be below that VAV box minimum. So since the box can't do it, what is their solution? Well, they're going with a, um, a different kind of like a pulse system. So what it's going to do is going to, it's going to say, okay, we're going to allow for zero CFM for a certain period of time. Then it's going to go to the box minimum. And the average of that measured over like a 15 minute period is going to equal the, what the demand control ventilation CFM is going to be. So it's kind of a, a neat solution. Obviously, it's a, it's a, like I said, you know, if you think about how that is done programmatically, it becomes really, really um, complicated. There's a lot of computation involved in that, and it's not as simple as your standard VAV box. But, hey, it is something that's been, been thought through, and a lot of this, and again, it, because it's research studies, um, not only is it theoretical, but they've actually tested it out and there's going to be a lot of testing these sequences out. So that's, a, again, why continuous maintenance is super important. Um, and the fourth thing that they, they, they talked about in this webinar was a trim and respond logic for resets. Um, so, you know, whether it be, you know, a static pressure reset, whether it be uh, a temperature reset, they want to be able to, you know, have a reset that trims slowly but responds quickly. Um each of these zones, to be able to do this, um, each of the zones um, is going to have an importance multiplier to it because some zones are more important than others. Um, so you're going to be able to you know, dictate that a little bit. And again, that might be something that you're going to um, you know, specify uh, in your control sequences. So uh, you may not necessarily specify the, the control sequence per se, but you might have to, on your VAV box schedule, you might have to put an importance multiplier there. Um, and they also had, uh, you need to be able to identify rogue zones. Now you know that if you're going to have some sort of reset um, where you're basing it on the worst case scenario, sometimes that worst case scenario is always the worst case scenario. Sometimes it just does not cooperate with the rest of these. And even if you have, you know, put them in different groups um, and control that uh, differently this way, sometimes that just doesn't doesn't cut it. So you need to be able to take those rogue zones out of the calculation and handle them separately. 
Um, they also specified alarms, what they, what they, you know, different fault conditions, the important things there. So some of the highlights they said they want to be able to minimize false alarms. I mean, that's something that the, the owners really, really like. Um, they want to be able to uh, assume typical sensor errors. They want to use rolling averages. Um, they want to suspend alarms uh, during changes in operation and status. So just because something is is changing from a heating to cooling mode, all of a sudden you might necessarily get a, like a nuisance alarm. They want to be able to eliminate that by suspending alarms for a period of time while equipment changes from one state to another. Also, um, and this is one that's typically um, you have. Um, I think it's just probably more for everything, but the, the fault conditions have to be true for a certain period of time before they are reported. So a lot of times if you have alarms that are not so important um, and you might, it might be because the systems is, you know, is, is um, adjusting one way or the other. Again, you might have a five or a 15 minute delay on an alarm to say, okay, if it's true after 15 minutes, then, you know, set your alarm. So typically you're going to see that now. I, I, I see it a lot, especially when your, um, your temperatures. So if you're, you're specifically, you want, say, a, a discharge temperature to be at 55 degrees, and all of a sudden it raises up to 60 degrees, um, you may want to set an alarm if you can't bring it down to, to 55 again. So there's certain things, and obviously a lot of these are going to be adjustable parameters um, that you're going to be able to tweak. So by following these, I mean, obviously they, they, they did kind of allude to a certain number of benefits, but um, engineers, you know, obviously you're going to have a pre-written, pre-tested sequence that you can rely on. Um, you can actually specify, and I don't know how this is necessarily going to work out, um, but you can simply say, you know, control sequences to be fully implemented per guideline 36 requirements. So you may be able to just say, you know, have it controlled to that, and, and the controls contractor is going to you know fully understand it. So it, it's a easier way of conveying, yes, I'm going to use these sequences, just use what's the, what's the standard, and the temp, you know, that puts it on the temperature controls contractor to be able to uh, implement that. Uh, you can also, as an engineer, request documents um, from the TC that their controls are compliant with guideline 36. This ultimately makes them prove it. Um, and that's important, and I'll get that. Uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about how the temperature controls contractors are gonna are gonna do. Obviously, owners they're gonna get you know energy efficient system, something that runs right, something that they they have a you know a tried and true tested sequence of operations. So there should be less less things going wrong with their system. As far as the temperature controls contractor goes, this reduces programming time, uh, better collaboration between the engineer, the temperature controls contractor. And the commissioning, obviously reduced commissioning time um, because, again, we don't have to go through the sequence to make sure that it's, it's working right. Or if, if it is, um, you know, we'll, we'll just know. Um, but we don't have to, you know, we'll, we'll test the sequence to make sure that everything's functioning. But we won't have to necessarily say, is this sequence any good? Do we have to make any modifi modifications or changes? Um, and obviously that rolls into the next one, interpret, you know, no need to interpret the engineer's sequence of operation. So if it's incomplete or any way, you have the standard, everything is pretty much written there. Now, the one thing I will say is that obviously the temperature controls manufacturers, the vendors, are actually going to have to, because a lot of them do have their own, you know, pre, um, prepackaged 
pre-programmed uh, sequences of operation for certain pieces of equipment. I'm sure like, you know, VAV boxes are one of the most obvious, but they already have that. Now they're going to have to go and modify that per guideline 36, and they're going to have to go and they're going to have to test it out to make sure that their equipment is going to, um, is going to function properly. So obviously some manufacturers are really testing this out now, um, and they're testing it out in real-world scenarios. They want to make sure that it really does work. All right, and then finally commissioning. You know, the one thing they said is they, they wanted all points to be adjustable. Now, obviously software points have been adjustable for years, but they want even the hard point, hardwired points to be adjustable. And obviously this is going to be allow for easier uh, commissioning multi- uh, manipulation of the system. So we're going to be able to be able to test it quicker and do certain things um, with that now that we can adjust all the points. Now, I you know, pluses and minuses, obviously, anything that's going to be adjustable, um, <laughs> even if it isn't now, there's obviously opportunities for things to be uh, messed up by the, um, by the maintenance staff. So you really have to be kind of, I don't know if there's going to be a lockout or some, some way that um, obviously going to some sort of commissioning mode where all the hardwired points become um, manipulatable or adjustable. But, I mean, obviously that's, that's going to be one other thing. Um, and another thing for commissioning, which is going to be big, um, is that they're actually going to have functional performance tests um, for all the systems. So that's going to be included in this guideline. So no longer do you need to figure out, okay, how am I going to test this system? Well, they're going to come with functional performance tests. You might probably have to modify them slightly, um, you know, just based on your particular project. But they're going to be provided um, with the guideline. Now, some of the questions that that finally ended up uh, talking about um, in the webinar. Now, these sequences are tailored for uh, specific climate zones or multiple climate zones, I should say, and regions. So it's not just one specific climate zone. They're, they're not, they're, they modify them accordingly. And that's especially when you get into the set points, um, that's going to be something that's probably going to be a little bit more obvious. Um, what were the expected energy savings? Um, you know, they, they threw out a number between 5 and 25%. Um, that was really a swag. So uh, really benchmarking is still being done. They don't know exactly what the energy efficiency savings are. But need I remind you, this is going to save time between coordination, between the engineer, the temperature controls contractor, the commissioning agent, um, it's it's going to save a lot of time and programming. So um, there are obviously savings from that. It may not necessarily be you know seen by the owner, but you know, for everybody involved in the project, um, it it will help quite a bit. Um, will sequences be created for all applications? Yes. Um, so it's not just for the most common equipment they're going to go through and they're going to they're going to do s- different sequences. Um, again, they have different research projects out there that are going to come up with different um, sequences of operation for DOAS units for different specialty devices. Um, so that's going to be something that that uh, will be incorporated. Obviously, people asked about Title Twenty Four, and this has been a a, um, a pretty big influence on the development of this, just to make sure that they're compliant with Title 24, uh, and that is the energy code in California. 
the one thing they did point out, this is not really for existing buildings. Um, generally speaking, obviously, you can kind of guess that all this, all these requirements for additional data points, additional fault detection, um, is really going to be processor intensive. So generally, the systems that are installed in existing buildings are too slow to implement. I mean, not to say that you couldn't rip out the, uh, um, the head end and replace it, um, but it's, it's one of those things that would be very expensive to do. Um, but, you know, when you do an upgrade, you might be able to implement some of these sequences of operation. Um, but that might take a little bit more, more doing than you would originally think. Obviously, uh, last question, it, it does have higher uh, data trending. Now, not all systems are, are built for trending data. Um, trending data kind of can be one of those things that really bogs down a system. Uh, so it, right, it, you know, implementing the guideline 36 standards might be harder for some vendors, uh, some controls vendors to do. Um, and some of them might actually have to modify their controllers. All right. So that was my take on the, uh, the webinar. Um, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you learned something. Um, if you know anybody who's looking to get more information on Guideline 36 uh, or other things we talk about, consider passing this episode along. Um, if you're not a subscriber, I didn't mention them in, the, in the top of the show, but consider joining the community over at HVAC360.com. Um, we publish a weekly newsletter that has uh, additional HVAC goodness. So, um, you know, go and sign up for that. And lastly, uh, two other things. Um, I'd really appreciate any ratings or reviews to Apple podcast and obviously at the YouTube channel, um, you know, getting more people. I'm going to try to get more videos, um, that are going to be, you know, me on video as opposed to just a, uh, some of these, uh, podcast episodes over there. So that's, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do within the next couple of months. And we shall see going forward from that. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I am Matt Nelson, your host, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.